Broadcasting live high atop the Sunset Strip, deep in the heart of Tinseltown, it's the Eden Rocks Radio Show. Your host, Son Edom. Joining us is Calvin Simon, a founding member of the band that would go on to be known as Parliament Funkadelic. He is a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and a 2019 recipient of the Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award along with his bandmates. Calvin, welcome to the program. Hey, it's my pleasure to be here. One of the big things you've got coming up, uh, you've got a major announcement uh, that you guys are going to be receiving a, a big award this, uh, this 2019. Uh, first off, though, let's start uh, Parliament Funkadelic. You guys started out, uh, I believe, in the fifties as the Parliaments. How did the That's correct? Yeah. So, how did the evolution of the Parliaments come about? Well, you know, in New Jersey, uh, every street corner you come up on at night, there's somebody under there singing. Because at that time, there was a lot of doo-wop singing. Because we didn't have all the instruments and everything. Our voices were the instruments. You had your first tenor, second tenor, baritone, bass, and lead. So you were the whole band within yourself, and uh, you, 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 you stand on the street corner and sing, and it just so happens that all the best guys, I had the best first tenor voice, George had a good lead in first tenor voice, and we just kind of hand-picked all the guys, and uh, we put it together and say, okay, this is going to be the uh, group that we uh, rule the world with. And so this uh, doo-wop barbershop type style of music, I guess that was the, the style of music at the time? Yes, it was. Um, you 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 have uh, uh, groups like uh, Shep and the Limelights and Pookie Hudson and the Spaniels and uh, uh, Harvey and the Moon Glows and you know a lot of pretty harmonies with first tenors and bass. If you could sing first tenor or bass in those days, hey, you were a popular guy. Now, eventually, you guys evolve into Parliament Funkadelic or P Funk, as it's sometimes referred to which some have said is kind of like a psychedelic-type funk. So how did you guys go from this doo-wop to psychedelic funk-type music? Well, it was out of necessity. Uh, when I got back from Vietnam, we had, uh, had a, a number one record called I Want to Testify. And uh, I had signed a contract with Rev Live Records, and all five of us had signed it. And he was kind of reneging on some of the money, and we weren't quite sure where the money was going. So once we did find out what was happening, we ended up leaving his company, but we couldn't use the same parliaments anymore because we were under contract to him. So out of necessity, we took our band, and we named them Funkadelic, and we leased the name to Westbound Records. That way we didn't have to personally sign anymore, but also... Westbound Records knew that we were the parliaments behind Funkadelic. So Funkadelic was born out of necessity to continue our dream and to keep working. So at what point then did the style of music begin to change for you guys? It's, well, that started in 68. And, well, of course, you know, Jimmy Hendrix was real big at the time. And I get to play Eddie Hazel that we had. He was heavily influenced by Jimi Hendrix. And uh, we did a show with the Vanilla Fudge one time, and man, all they had all these big amps and everything, because our equipment truck was late getting to the gig, and we used their amps that night. And man, that's what it started. We got used to that power, man, and realized, oh, this is something new. We can, we can do something with this. So we incorporated that power with the sweetness and the and the ranges that we had at Parliament, and lo and behold, there's a whole new category of music was starting. 
So it seems sometimes the success or the, the change in music style might not always be intended, but the end result can be gold. It really, and, and you know, when you're following your dreams, like you don't always, you know where you want to go with it. And you just have to continue going with it, even if people kind of discourage you not to. You got to follow your own dreams and dance to your own beat. And that's basically what we did. And it was all natural because the style of, of singing with Parliament, uh, how sweet in the harmonies. And then you add that with the raunchiness of the guitars and the psychedelic uh, feel and dress, then before you know we've started our own thing. Now, you mentioned you were a Vietnam vet. First of all, thank you for your service. We really appreciate that. Can't thank you guys enough for serving. But at, at what point, so I guess that kind of interrupted your music career. Absolutely. It absolutely interrupted it for two years. Because uh, when I left going to Vietnam, we were wearing suits and ties and all that stuff. And then when I came back, we incorporated all the hippie dress and the tashikis and the beards. And, and it was really kind of rough for me because, I, I mean, even to this day, I still suffer from 100% disability from the, that war. And uh, some days it's kind of hard to keep the gene in the bottle. But, you know, I always managed to do so somehow. But it, it, took, it took me away from the music industry for two years. So then coming back to the music business afterwards. Was there any uh, type of thera- therapy in that, getting back into what you wanted to do and getting back into the music? Well, it, it was it was, it was was very heavy on me because uh, at the time I left the Army, they didn't give us any kind of therapy or anything. They uh, give you a band, give you a, 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 a aspirin and a band and say, give me that 45 and M16, now go live a normal life. And how can you live a normal life when you've been through what you've through and the things that you've had to do as a soldier, you know, for two years. And I was in Vietnam. I was with uh, the 9th Infantry Division. That we were the first ones to go out on uh, those 100-foot barges that uh, patrolled the Mekong Delta. We control, uh, patrolled all the, uh, the waterways. And we didn't even have a motor on that barge. We had a 105 hollow on each end of it. But we was tied to the Navy. So our, they, they would, the Navy would tie us up and take us out and drop us in position, and we would tie up on the bank. And, uh, boy, let me tell you, it was incredible, some of the things that uh, I had to witness and some of the things that we had to endure. Were you able to use uh, music and writing music to kind of help you uh, kind of reintegrate back into society once you returned? Well, that was, that was the key for me because the music industry allowed me to continue to pursue my career and actually, that kind of helped me uh, mentally and physically to get to the Vietnam era because while I was in Vietnam, I Want to Testify came out and it was uh, number, it went to number one. And Chris Nowell was a disc jockey out of California, which we would listen to in Vietnam. And she dedicated this to Sergeant Simon. Uh, I know you were part of the group and uh, we're going to play this for you. I hope you come home soon. And that was very encouraging. That helped me to endure all the madness that had before me. So you come back and you get back into the music. Was it a business for you guys? Did you have long-term goals, or was this just the music just was for the now? It's, it started out with just being the music, and we realized with the music we could get girls. Then, and then it extended to the point where you realize you can make money with it. And then the money became a necessity because then you had people that you had to take care of. You had responsibilities. 
And that's why Funkadelic was even born, is because we couldn't use the name Parliament anymore. So we had to continue to work in order for our families to eat. That's why we even created Funkadelic. And it just so happened, once we created Funkadelic, it caught on through that love era. And then we got the name Parliament back. And then we were able to, we had two major names that we could combine. And that's why we called it part of Funkadelic Mint Thing. It's kind of like was a corporation that we had. So the reception of Funkadelic went over pretty well then at the time. It did. And 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 it was uh you know that was during the time of all the rock music and the psychedelic era and free love and all of that stuff. We just seemed to fit right in. So you think that the culture at the time really kind of helped propel you guys? It did. And you know that, and 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 as you know, there was a lot of psychedelic drugs and all this stuff going on at the time, because people were searching for something. They were looking for something. They were looking for peace. At least that's what we were looking for was peace. And we found the peace and the satisfaction by seeing what we were doing for people, because people was under so much stress that when they would come to our show, we would be up there for two or three hours, and we would get the people involved. And those two or three hours was a relief for them because they didn't have to think about all the crazy stuff because they were too busy having a good time. Now, you think you look back at your career. You guys were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which I guess is the pinnacle for music success, at least being you know identified as great musicians. What was it like being uh, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Well, actually, that night it was, it was a thrill. When you look out and you realize that you have been nominated by your peers and you look out and you see James Taylor, or you see the Bee Gees, or you see uh, Michael Jackson, uh, you see uh, 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 his father and, 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 and all the people, Diana Ross. I mean, it was uh, Michael Douglas. And when you see all of this, then you realize what you have done because we were so busy building and working we didn't even realize what we was accomplishing. We didn't even think about that part. Because at the time we started out with this dream, they didn't even know anything about a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And so now you guys have 2019, another big achievement that's going to be bestowed upon you guys. Tell us about that. Well, that's uh, that's an amazing feeling. Uh, with all the things that we did, uh, music-wise, uh, we even had the they even. Uh, created a whole new category in music so that we would be able to fit in <clears throat> because our style was so different. We always danced to our own beat. But I want to I want to give a shout out about something that is very important. Bernie Warrell was our keyboard player, and he graduated from uh, Boston Conservatory of Music as well as Juilliard. So when you take that classical training that he had. And you add that with the natural feeling that we had. That's what the unique combination was right there. So does having all this kind of validate your career? Obviously it would. But, I mean, for you personally, does it give it validation of what you guys have done over the course of your career to have uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induct induction? You've got the Smithsonian. You've got the uh, Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award. I mean, that's almost like the trifecta of, of uh, awards. Well, you can't do anymore in this in, the, in this industry. And, you know, at the time we were doing what we were doing, we weren't thinking about all the accolades and awards and everything. We were just thinking about how much fun we were having creating music and giving people messages. You know, I mean, there, there's, a you know, Chocolate City 
you know, uh, Maggot Brain. I mean, all these things, Flashlight, One Nation in the Groove. If you listen to all those songs, they got messages to them. And that's what I think people are looking for. They're looking for messages. And, I mean, it leads you into an entirely, it has led me into, into a part of my life at this point that is the happiest and the most fulfilled that I've ever been or ever thought I could be. You mentioned the message behind the music. When you guys were writing music, lyrics, etc., what was your kind of inspiration? What, what, was, what was driving you with these lyrics? Just your, your experiences, your pains, your passions? All of that, you know, and you put all of that into your music. And, and, and we did a song once called I Bet You Never Lose My Love. And we also did songs like Standing on the Verge of Getting It On. And when we say standing on the verge of getting it on, that was during the time where everybody was starting to find themselves. And you're standing on the verge of really getting yourself together because you had Martin Luther King and all the other people, you know, marching and talking. And through our eyes, we saw a lot. And we tried to write and express our feelings about what we were seeing and what we were dealing with in real life. We just incorporated it into your music. Now, at some point along the way, uh, life started to change for you again. You found uh, you found faith, Christian faith. What was that? Ex- mm-hmm. What was that experience like? How'd that come oh, to be? And that is that is the most beautiful feeling that anyone could possibly have. Because I look at all of these accolades and awards and everything that we have received and will re- be receiving. But one of the greatest rewards that I can think of I, I, that has been given to me is the fact that I'm a born again Christian. And I accepted Jesus Christ into my life. And because of that, he promised me eternal life. And that is a feeling, man. I'm so glad that this 76-year-old man is, is able to understand it and feel it and see it, that it's incredible. And that's why I, my music now, which I'm still doing, it's all about my life, and I am devoted to Jesus Christ. So for you, was it was it one person that kind of led you or was it a uh, series of events how did your uh, how did you how did you actually get that journey going to to being on the path to become a christian then and accepting christ as your savior well i was born into my faith years ago but you wander away from it as you grow up but the business was so bad and money would change people and make them do things that maybe they wouldn't ordinarily do and because of that you get angry and you want to take revenge on people that's been stealing from you and taking from you. And then even within your own family, even within Parliament, you know, there was some disputes. And I was getting ready to do something really crazy. And I talked to Fuzzy one day, and uh, he didn't know what I was getting ready to do. But at the end of that conversation with Fuzzy, he gave me a book because I was on my way back to Toronto. He said, when you get a chance, read this book. And I didn't pay no attention. I said, book? I don't think about no book. So when I got home uh, in Toronto, uh, I was getting ready to read this book. And I looked at the line of notes, and I thought, you know, just seeing what was in it. And um, the name of that book was uh, Miracle of Seed Faith by Oral Roberts. And I put that book down. I read that whole book without going to sleep. And that was the beginning of the change of bringing me back to my Christian roots. And there were certain things in there that, that, that asked you to do certain things in the book, and I, I did that. And I had a talk 
uh, with the Lord and said, hey, I'm going to spend the rest of my day serving you. So and I, he brought me through heart attacks and cancer and, oh, man. And, and, and I write about, if you listen to my CDs, that's exactly what I write about is the experiences that I have endured. And so other people can understand it. And they can, if it happened for me, they can happen for you, too. So it's amazing to think that, you know, you've had such an impact over the course of your life, going back to you know the 50s, 60s, and 70s with the music and P-Funk and things like that. And now today, you're kind of reaching a whole new uh, generation of people with the message, you know, of salvation and, and your experiences and things like that. Um, you just feel, I mean, I know you went through a lot. I know, you know, you talked about Vietnam and those experiences and your cancer and your wife passing and things like that. But You know, when you look back at it, you said you're 76 years old. You just feel blessed that you've been able to influence so many people throughout your life? I feel blessed that I'm still able to be here to even have a testimony for someone. Because when you've seen the things that my eyes have seen, I mean, this is incredible, the things that you have to endure here in the United States. Uh, But you, you don't let that deter you. You know, you just keep going and doing what you believe in, and what. You, and that's my message to people today: do what do what you you want to do with your mind. Because if you can do that, and just don't worry about what other people say or do, because the only thing you are responsible for in life is this space that you fulfill. And this six foot five man here is just full of what God has done for me, and I want to let everybody know that I'm so grateful that I'm in this position that I can really appreciate. Even with all the awards and everything, it's nothing as fulfilling as this feeling that I have right now. There's no drug, no whiskey, no anything that can give you this feeling that I have. And I'm so grateful and so thankful that I can feel it and understand it. And, and hopefully it'll reach somebody else where they can as well. Anything else we can expect from you coming up in the near future? Any more music? Uh, any new albums coming out? Things like that? Well, the the I believe is just there, but I'm getting ready to do a book, and it's going to tell the whole story from the beginning of funk to the now, and uh, I'm, that's going to be my next project is to do the book. Well, that's going to be fascinating to read, and we look forward to that. Uh, where can we find you? Uh, website? Anything like that? All you need to do is go to calvinsimon.net, and you will be connected with everything. calvinsimon.net. Thanks again to Calvin Simon, a founding member of Parliament Funkadelic, a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee, and a 2019 recipient of the Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award along with his bandmates. And as we close it out, here is a song by Parliament off their 1975 album called Mothership Connection, which has been inducted into the Library of Congress. Here is Star Child featuring Calvin Simon and others on vocals. Well, all right. Star Child, citizens of the universe, recording angels. We have returned to claim the pyramids. Partying on the mothership. I am the mothership connection. Get down in 3D. Light year group. Well, all right. Here in Lord, ain't nobody but me and boy. Put a glass. 
Do it for me, can I don't make it? 
Yeah. 